Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time, and I believe that is both of us, Tommy, William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Uh, You know, part of the reason we selected this movie is William Friedkin sadly passed away this this past month, and we wanted to kind of tribute him here on the podcast. Uh, Sorcerer is one of those movies that I've heard so much about from other film buffs like people absolutely adore this movie i feel Uh, like one of our friends mentioned this movie a lot but honestly i feel like it was one of those movies i kind of forgot about um if we're wondering if you're wondering why we're not covering the exorcist that's because we covered it last year with the film versus film podcast uh so check that out on our feed but if you're wondering why we're not covering the french connection well maybe we will at some point but we decided on sorcerer we decided on the the least commercially successful of of free kittens <laughs> uh films yeah um, we're we care uh, about ratings we're anticipating this to be our lowest streamed episode in quite some time so very <laughs> excited to dive into this we'll make sure it's nice light and entertaining for you here uh tommy what you know going into to sorcerer did you have like any expectations or um i'm glad that like i looked up a little little bit about the film beforehand because when i first saw like the like um like the logo and stuff like that on the internet i was like oh is this gonna be some like horror movie about like a fucking like wizard or sorcerer or something yeah i i thought it was gonna i thought i didn't think (laughs) it was gonna be that because it just didn't really feel like friedkin's kind of work and especially coming from the exorcist and into this now these are the only two friedkin films that i've seen and I know he has his documentary background. You can you feel it. You you feel like oh yeah the realism in everything that that Friedkin does. It's very apparent throughout Sorcerer and especially The Exorcist, which feels like a non-documentary documentary on what would happen if there was an exorcism in 1973 or whatever year it was. Um, <laughs> and- Whereas this one's like, what would happen if you put a bridge, uh, a car over a fucking shaky bridge? Yeah, and it, <laughs> I mean, that, that does rock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, does. I thought there might be a little bit of mythicism or, or something in there from like the South American woods, but I, I, and maybe there was a little bit, not really, but like like a hair at the end, but. Yeah, like I was almost expecting something like uh, Serpent in the Rainbow that uh, was created with me, but like, um, you know, look at the poster right now. I didn't even look at the poster because the poster is literally just that scene where reference of the car going to the bridge. Which we'll um, dive more into in further depth uh, later on in the show here. Uh, you know, uh, that's probably the most famous scene from the movie. Um, but yeah, I think overall, like, basic consensus is that we enjoyed it. Um, but we'll dive more into it. Uh, but Tommy... I know that you had an eventful weekend at the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, went back to Connecticut Cult Classics at the Strand Theater. They did a double feature of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, Dream Warriors and Dream Master. Um, and it was a really fun time. Um, you know, both movies are cheesy 80s movies. I mean, they, you, we watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street last year. You didn't probably expect it to see what like. 3, I think, is actually kind of a fun movie. The Aliens to the, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's Alien. So it takes it more of an action approach. And four was fun. 
but I think the most fun thing about what happened, um, I think the most fun thing about what happened during this whole screening was um, midway through four, there's one scene where like Freddy's obviously killing someone in their dreams. And right when that happened, um, my friend and I, we noticed that the person behind us was choking on some fucking popcorn. I guess they fell asleep with some popcorn in their mouth while they're watching the movie. And they, they woke up in the middle of it, just like coughing like crazy, like choking, like like insane amount of amount, just in the middle of a fucking Freddy Krueger death scene. Um, and his friend was like talking to him, like, "Hey man, are you okay? You okay? You okay?" So we rushed over to get the concession stands to get make sure like everything's okay and stuff like that. Concessions, whatever. By the time that happened, the guy spewed up all of his fucking chewed up popcorn they left in his mouth somehow. <laughs> so my friends and I were all joking. Thankfully, the guy's okay. We were all joking, like. Fuck was Freddy trying to take him out or something like that? This is why you don't fall asleep in a Freddy Krueger movie. <laughs> uh, okay, and th- well, first of all, thankful that the the man that we don't know is fine. So I think yeah. we can dive into hypotheticals here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Do you think you if if that man choked on popcorn behind you in a Nightmare on Elm Street for screening, you know, forty some odd years later, just yeah, you know, at, at a random movie theater. Would you yeah. ever be able to watch a Nightmare on Elm Street again, or would you just be completely freaked out beyond repair? Because that is I, a freaky coincidence in a movie, or at least it was, it was literally, it was literally on the scene where like Freddie was about to like stab the person or whatever and like kill the person in their dream. <laughs> and, and yeah, just, and that's his whole I, thing. He goes in someone's dream. So this dude is dreaming out in a Nightmare on Elm Street, and then this dude, <laughs> like, what if it was Freddie just popping popcorn in yeah. his open mouth, just like tossing it in? Here's some popcorn, bitch. Eat up, bitch. Like <laughs> leaning back, being like Kobe, bitch. Like just, just like <laughs> yeah, flinging exactly. them in. In there, do you think that would have freaked you out to the point that, like, <laughs> horror, your favorite genre, bar none, bar yeah. none, your favorite genre of, of film, yeah. Yeah. that you would be like, I don't know if I can watch these anymore because. That would be a traumatizing <laughs> experience. It would be someone dying in the movie theater, choking on popcorn. Just tra- it was almost traumatizing enough. I mean, I can joke about it now because the guy's okay, but like the guy was like seizing up on this when this happened. Was his <laughs> face turning red or like? I, I I couldn't see his face, but I mean, I, I could see him just like fucking, just like fucking spazzing out trying to get the popcorn out of his fucking mouth. And also, who falls asleep with popcorn in their mouth? Right, Tom, Tommy, you, Tommy, you are the king of falling asleep during movies. So yeah, I feel but like not, you're, not with not with food in my mouth. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll let you have that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I have not had a ton of recent film watches, partially because I my girlfriend and I are rewatching Twin Peaks, the original series. She's loving it. Um, you're making her watch it <laughs> no well i made her watch the pilot and then she actually reached out to like we hadn't watched it in like a week or two and she was like hey can we keep watching twin peaks and that's how i knew she was like actually interested in watching it yeah and then um but the other thing i did go see in theater because i had my dad come down and, and visit me we were going to go to the grand old opry which is you know outskirts of nashville but right next to it is the Regal Opry where the IMAX 70 millimeter theater is. And my dad had not been able to go see Oppenheimer yet. So I went with him for my third viewing of Oppenheimer. Oh, is it uh, third? I thought this was your second. <laughs> no, well, I've seen it twice now in IMAX 70 millimeter. And then I just had to go see it like the night before opening day, just because I was like, it was killing me and I didn't have theater reservations at like a, a premier theater. Um, mm-hmm. 
I still absolutely adore Oppenheimer three viewings in and especially being more critical of it. Um, it's, it's easier to get, I, I'll say like part of it is like the only thing is like seeing that movie three times in a month span is going to alleviate some of the tension of the first viewing and the second viewing there where definitely wasn't on like pins and needles. Like, like I was I was going to say you're probably not going to watch this movie again for like a while now <laughs> it's going to be a little bit yeah for sure I mean if I see it I catch it on like an HBO and it's like right before the bomb drops like what am I going to do not watch it yeah. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah I mean it was just it was still as great as ever I mean it's probably the in it's going to be in the pantheon of dad movies uh, my dad walked out of that theater we had an appointment at the Grand Old Opry for like like 15, 20 minutes after the movie ended. Um, my dad said it's the best movie, new movie release that he's seen in maybe 20 years, he said. Um, yeah. well, and, I, mean, I mean, that's very fair. And he, you know, we we did a whole tour of the Grand Old Opry. Now, neither of us are giant country music fans, but it's still very interesting to to see such a historic location. Like we, we finished leaving and my dad just starts talking about the movie again, about Oppenheimer. So like it just has that staying power and seeing that resonate within him is 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 cool and so did, made, uh, me, made me very happy to go with him to be able to let him see yeah, it in the theater ex- experience through his eyes. I mean like this like just showing a person in the movie for the first time. So did anything wacky happen at your movie screen either? Did like you know a nuke get dropped or something in the middle of it while watching Alvin Hammer? <laughs> um, a nuke like like the bomb drops in the movie, uh, but. I, I mean, it was a 10.45 a.m. screening, and it was, like, half full a month after release, which just shows, you know, I'm sure it's not every screening of it. Like, maybe it was the opening weekend where you really just couldn't get a ticket at any screen. The man's um, waned a little bit, but, but not that but, much. But not for the premiere format, not for the IMAX 70 millimeter experience. Like, that has not, that demand has not waned at all, which is really cool to see. Yeah, I need, I need to see it again. I still haven't seen an IMAX like whatsoever, so I feel like yeah, I'm missing out if, on that aspect. If you could see, I'd say IMAX or, or Dolby, even if you can get like that that sound experience. I feel like that's like a lot of the movie too. Is is that sound definitely worth going to? Uh, speaking of a movie, I wish I could have seen in theaters. This is Sorcerer. Suspense, adventure, mystery. Danger. Courage. Sorcerer. Roy Scheider in a new film by William Friedkin. Sorcerer. Rated PG. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Kind of wild to me that that was rated PG at the time. Um... Yeah, it, it's it's insane. I mean, there's a reason why this is PG-13, but this feels R, and I thought it was R. I, I thought this was R, too, to be completely yeah. honest, because, I mean, it, it starts with... The movie kicks off with a Palestinian rebel uh, exploding a, a building and committing terrorism. Uh, a French businessman uh, who is corrupt, uh, getting exposed by the government, and uh an american gangster who uh 
robs a church owned by the own run by the mob and all of them have to flee to south america to to parts unknown down to a oil rig and you know i usually go into these movies completely blind so like i literally had no mm. no background like don't don't look it up don't read it like the first like i have usually have the subtitles on the first the first 20 minutes of this movie are, are not 20 probably the first 10 15 minutes of this movie are all in foreign languages so yeah. then they had the movie subtitles and then my subtitles and then i had to keep oh that was so them. annoying that happened it was, to me too oh, it was it was brutal it was absolutely <laughs> brutal well it's something that's very funny about this movie i mean like the 70s obviously were a long time ago like 50 years ago um and apparently like i've seen this card um on social media like after freaking died that um and there's on the trivia on imdb that apparently like do the subtitles at the beginning of the movie, which probably what for first 10, 15, maybe maybe even 20, 30 minutes. Um definitely not that know. long. Definitely not that long. Um, but still like, like decent amount. Like, yeah. It was um, probably the first 20 minutes, because you had just three primary characters here. Um most but, but yeah, but yeah, with with um the subtitles or anything like that, apparently they had to give out like fucking theater cards that said like um, hey. For your attention, please, to dramatize the diverse backgrounds of principal characters and sorcerer, two of the opening sequences were filmed in the appropriate foreign languages with subtitles in English. Other than these opening scenes, sorcerer is an English language film because audiences in the 70s were like, fuck this, did I just pay to go see a foreign film? Like, what, what is this bullshit? <laughs> also, it doesn't help that this movie was released like a month after uh, this. It's a small yeah. independent movie called Star Wars. Um one month one month later where that demand was like like i think that whole year was just a demand of people trying to go see that movie which is part of the reason why this didn't do that great because mm. ultimately it's like it's a dude dude's rock movie and you just spend the first 40 minutes of this movie just kind of getting to know the characters what led them to this point and why they would accept such a crazy job mm. Because ultimately, they there's they're working on an oil plant, and where the the main source of the oil comes from, there's a big explosion, and they have these these nitrous uh, flares that would be used to be put them out, but they're damaged and are highly explosive on contact, so they can't aircraft them. They have to put them in trucks, and they're going to have to drive through the South American jungle for 218 miles to make the delivery and stop the explosion for a lot of money and just a way out of this because they came down there for a reason to get away but working on an oil rig in south america makes you want to find any other place to go to i'd imagine yeah it's just intense that way um i'll admit this movie mostly didn't really work for me i wasn't the biggest fan of this movie i mean granted I just talked about beforehand that like, this was a movie that I went into not in the best of moods, but uh, I can't agree with like, stuff like what well, uh, at the time this wasn't received that well either. Like Leonard Malton said in his book that this is expensive. This is apparently like expensive remake of the wages of fear. Some movie from the fifties, apparently. Um, and he said that it never really catches hold despite a few astounding scenes. And that's what I felt like there are scenes in this movie that I did like, but overall I didn't feel gripped by this movie. I kind of felt just like not engaged by it personally. <laughs> It, yeah I, I, and i always try to put myself in the situation when i'm watching a movie like this mm -hmm. of um trying to become as captivated as possible 
it didn't fully grasp me to be completely honest but i yeah i felt a 2001 space odyssey um feeling again in like the back of my neck and the back of my bones when because mm. i had watched 2001 first in college like on my laptop like exactly how stanley Kubrick. probably hated it yeah <laughs> i didn't hate i didn't hate it but i was like okay i i got it i i get why i've seen it <laughs> i i've seen it but when the 2018 theatrical re-release uh on print uh came out i went and saw that in the theater and it completely like changed the way that you could like you view that film it, it is a film mm. that like we've discussed because tommy's never seen 2001 of us like covering it and you were even like i'm down to cover it but i feel like i need to watch that movie in a theater otherwise i'm not gonna really care for it probably well, yeah like, there, there's like a podcast I listen to that Guillermo del Toro said that himself like he's like if you saw us on your tv i don't think you'd really get it or understand it and i feel like this is a movie that has a similar complaint for me right there where it's yeah. a very visual movie it's not dialogue heavy at all and like while Granted, I didn't have my phone near me. Um, I didn't look at my phone at all while watching this. Um, it still just like was kind of hard to get me engaged. Mm-hmm. I feel like in a theatrical experience, you know, I'm right there. That's all I can look at and stuff like that. It would be a lot better of a feel. But this time, I kind of felt bored and was like, "Yeah, the train, the fucking bridge scene was cool." But other than that, like, ugh, I don't know. Really, <laughs> just the bridge scene did it for you. Like once the mission got going, like I was, I was like pretty i was in like um because i i felt like the power of this movie was you have these these four men who are all escaping they're trying to escape their past having to come together to work this dangerous job like they have no connection there it is just it is a stressful movie it you feel that stress like come down on you even in this the home version of it where i feel as if Maybe at in a theatrical setting, this like it would just like trap your chest in and and like press you into your theater seat. I feel like that was. I imagine that. Yeah, was I, I more feel like the theatrical. Feeling. Theatrically, I definitely would have felt that, but in a home viewing, I just kind of was just like, all right, like what's happening here? <laughs> I, I I I didn't feel the stress for me personally. <laughs> because once the once the. I felt I definitely felt the stress because I and I really liked how how it built up to to each moment um, where the the you know they start on their journey. The first moment is uh, uh, v- Victor and and Nilo are in one car, and then you have uh, Dominguez played by Roy Scheider, who oh love love the guy, and I guess Kasim I don't know he was the German guy that just kind of showed up in the town and then like killed another guy to get the job which i i didn't that was the one part of i was like what 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 what's going on here yeah. but um the 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 tire gets stuck on this wooden bridge that they need to get a lock so it's like your first hiccup in the road that you need to get that you need to get through and then it, you know the tire gets stuck as he's as uh victor is guiding him down the road they get over it. And then you have Roy Scheider driving his truck. And then the the Native American man is is kind of um is kind of prodding him along, right? Like chasing him along the screen. And then you're cut into the rain, deep in the rainforest, and the water is just coming down relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And the sign's broken. They finally meet up, the two cars behind each other meet up, they 
decide on the direction and then bam you're at the bridge and it's just a monsoon it is a relentless weather storm like i don't know how they got the rain to be that apt i feel like in most movies it's never it you can tell when it's like supposed to be heavy raining but it always feels like it's movie rain this felt like they were stuck in a monsoon um, <laughs> i feel i feel like pretty much like yeah that's the way they just did sometimes in the old 70s where it's just like all right i guess we got the weather we, we got the shot right here <laughs> Yeah, and part of this movie too is that I know, you know, Friedkin's a, a psychopath, and he, he there is a lot of budget issues and and delays on this. Like apparently, this balloon to a twenty two million dollar budget, which is around a hundred million. In, this was uh, like today's a, money. Yeah, <laughs> this is like originally supposed to be his like little like pet project, like a, a little like. 2.5 million in between movie between like uh the exorcist uh, assist and uh his next major project which is gonna be called the devil's triangle then steven spielberg did uh close encounters of the third kind which pretty much nullified that project and so then he saw like francis for coppola as his, like competitor pretty much and i was like well he's doing apocalypse now in the philippines so i'm doing fucking this movie's sorcerer in latin america fucking budget so much of the trivia in imdb just mentions william frico's ego was out of control during this shoot hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah baby and yeah. and i absolutely love that about the guy uh mm. i i know that in today's day and age it wouldn't fly but god damn it do i love a man with a vision mm. and absolutely no regard for anyone else on set that's going to get in his way of his vision and i i do feel like he fully completed his his vision bringing it to task um but i i i I did just like you know kind of back to that tension like that that bridge scene so the first roy scheider's car truck is the first to to cut across the the bridge and it's stress that is stressful but then when uh victor and nilo's truck has to go and one of them will come out and guide the other across the bridge one of the men will be on the bridge the other one there nilo falls into the water and into onto the bridge he's being held up by two planks as the truck is slowly approaching and uh, like i was like is, is this man gonna die it, like like because you they even said before the mission started we want extra insurance because this is basically a suicide mission like you're sending two trucks you're expecting one of us to to fail Mm. um uh, on that to get like extra money extra perks whatever it was and like i was like okay is, is this like the, the moment that it's going to happen no but as the bridge is basically like losing its suspension they have a a hook lined at the end of the road with the to a tree that is basically being pulled by its roots as that truck just barely gets across the bridge and then cut cut to the next part which is when the tree is fallen and i really loved the, like the creative little sequence of using some of the explosives to blow up the tree how they came together and for roy scheider and his character like he sees this roadblock and he's just like taking a machete and trying to to cut the woods there like i feel like it builds up that tension and it goes together great it it's just like every every part of it just like kind of escalates slowly and slowly and slowly just to seem where uh, I mean like that's what's so great about this movie too is that, that that shit was pretty much practical. They literally 
did that. They literally fucking put a bridge, uh, moved a car over a bridge. Whereas nowadays that'd be fucking green screened or something. The CGI, hell. it would look, it would look bad. Like part of yeah. the drama of a movie is the the visual side of it, and I think we've both been on the side of, you know, visual effect. Practical, yeah, you know, practical. Just always, you know, it's just going to appeal more to your eye. Um, you're going to be more amazed by it. Um, and... what it's crazy with um, sorry, you go. <laughs> No, you go. No, Tommy. Tommy, you go. Uh, it's cr- it's crazy with uh, Roy Schneider like, in terms of his career arc. So this is very much like his, like essentially his follow up to um, Jaws in terms of lean man status. I mean, he did the Marathon Man after Jaws, but that was a supporting role. He wasn't the main character. That was Dustin Hoffman and um, Lawrence Olivier. And you know, then he goes up the Sorcerer, and Willem Freakin has worked with Roy Schneider before on the French Connection. But he said so much in interviews after a time that like Roy Schneider changed after Jaws. Like he pretty much got too big for his britches and like wouldn't respect me and wouldn't like listen to my fucking uh, you know uh, direction and stuff like that. But you know, I think in terms of like a follow up. Granted, it didn't do well for his career, given the fact that he did Jaws 2 a year later. But um, he was great in this movie. He was great. It's like, you know, not a dialogue-heavy movie, not a dialogue-heavy role, but I just thought he was captivating. (laughs) Yeah, he was captivating. He carried so much emotion of of what happened um, where his his heist mates all die, and he robbed, he shot a, one of his partners shot a priest in a church. They were robbing, basically, where they you know, all the contributions, the donations. Turns out it was a mob-protected bank, which you never want to do. Um, I did notice a very interesting shot as they go into the church. There's a wedding going on, so they're just going into the back room using that as a using that as a, a disguise of, of being able to get out of there quickly. It's just going to be a lot of traffic, cause a lot of chaos. They sh- We don't know who the people getting married are, but we sh- we see the man and the woman like at the altar as so they like kind of cutting in between the the robbery and what's going on outside and mm-hmm. the woman just has the biggest black eye um as she's oh, getting yeah. married and it was very interesting just just seeing that just letting you know that the kind of place this is because it, it maybe it makes it safe for us to assume that this is uh, uh, someone related to the mafia or organized crime in in some way and just the kind of people that are there because if, if this man hit his wife to be like the night before the wedding, because that that looked like a fresh, fresh <laughs> a little bruise. fresh shiner right there. That looked like a nice old fresh shiner there. Yeah. Meatloaf must have been very cold that day. Um, yeah, I, I you know I, I it's those little details with, with Friedkin that that get to me and where he, he kind of has that Axel Rose syndrome. Like I just think famously of like complete egotisticals like he basically yeah. broke up guns and roses because he'd be like to to like a slash on heroin being like if you just held that note for 60 tooth of a second longer it would just perfect it and they're just like fuck you dude like yeah fuck off. <laughs> like like fuck fuck that yeah it, it's the same thing with the kind of stanley kubrick of, of it all we're like you know oh yeah filming- yeah, I mean, I don't think William Freaking as, is as known for like multiple takes, but shit like that, where it's just like the perfectionism, the egoism of some of these directors, especially in the seventies and eighties, when they're left unchecked. Like nowadays, I don't feel like Freaking would get any rope. <laughs> you know? Well, he's dead. Um, well, it, 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 if we had a Freaking type, but yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I mean, we also don't know what goes on on a lot of these sets nowadays. I feel like it's a lot more like NDAs closed off, like. 
Yeah. Like, and all the press junkets are like, we're a big old family where we had a great time. Yeah. We had a great um, time together. We all love, we all love each other. Like that's every big movie now. Um, um, unless that's your, uh, yeah. But was, was it movie last year with the Olivia Wilde movie? Oh yeah. But don't, don't worry, darling. Don't worry, darling. Yeah. So uh, can we talk about how like terrible of a title sorcerer is for this movie? Um, it's oh, yeah, probably, it's... A huge reason why this movie fell out the box office. You know, people probably like, like Gene Sisko brought this up, but people probably like went to the sorcerer thing and like, oh, William Franken, he directed The Exorcist. This is going to be a supernatural follow up. And people are watching this movie like, where the fuck's the devil in this movie? And, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, yes and no, but I low key, you know, it's just that like, there's just that part of me that loves because I was like, I was like, all right, where, where's the sort like, where does the sorcerer come in? <laughs> And yeah. then you're just one of the trucks just drives by and it just says sorcerer on the side. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. It's a, it's almost like a troll of <laughs> the audience thing. I mean, like they literally had to make ads that said sorcerer is not a film about the supernatural. <laughs> just like a heads it's up. It's a film about courage and a film about b- 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 bravery, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, and I, I think, you know, going back to that tension, like I was building before, you know, all of these men, as we're introduced to them in the town, are very guarded. Like when uh, Victor and Dominguez meet at the the diner, you know, they're very guarded. He's like, "Oh, what did you, what did you used to do?" He's like, "Ice hockey, right?" Like they're they're very guarded about who they were, what their past was. Mm. And and after they explode the the giant tree branch and they're on the road, um, Victor and Nilo are talking and they're discussing the the watch right like the we see victor with his wife in france give him a watch for their 10th anniversary it was the last time he he saw her he finally is, feels comfortable opening up about it and right when right when you let your guard down the the rebels in the area put a mine on the road truck goes off the road down to the trench never to be seen from again and it's 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 just that it's that tension where you just feel like every moment they come off it's like how much worse can it get mm-hmm. and especially after that big bridge you're like are they all gonna survive like it doesn't feel like that kind of movie and then they do um which then <laughs> yeah lee the other man uh Kassim, who was the german man that was with them he gets shot by some of the rebels Scheider gets away he basically gets the truck like two miles from the port where it needs to go. He collapses, bringing the the uh, flares over, and then he um, he comes back to the base. It's it's at the end. He gets this money, and um, who who's the man? Corlette, the guy who works at the for the oil yeah. company, hands him the letter that Victor gave him, and. I, I loved Scheider's face there where he's like, Hey, can you mail this for me? Like basically just passing off an errand for a dead man. Yeah. Of, of being like, I'm about to send the mail of a dead man and just like completely encaptures there. Like Scheider is obviously unreal in jaws, but mm-hmm. he definitely gets uh, overshadowed a bit by, by Quentin Hopper's like relationship. Like, Scheider really just needs to be the straight man in Jaws. Like that's kind of what yeah. his role is, and he's excellent in this. But like he carries a lot of the emotional weight in this movie, and it was great to see that other side of of Roy Scheider because he's truly like 
he's an exceptional American actor. Is uh, is this the only other movie you've seen uh, Shredder in? I, I probably seen him in other because I know he's got a big filmography, but like off the top of my head, I I, I wouldn't I don't know off the top of my head. The only other one I can say that's not Jaws really. I mean, I've seen Jaws too, but um, I've, he was the dad in the Punisher movie. <laughs> Oh. Uh, the to- the Thomas Jane one. <laughs> oh, yeah, randomly. Oh. So I I remember that. I only, only know that because I've watched that movie um, last like two years. But um, I'm very glad you've been recapping the plot for me because this is a movie that like, I did not understand a lot of the plot. This is a movie I had to like read Wikipedia. There, and there's not through. really plot to it. Well, it's yeah, just, there's not really it's plot. Ca- it's character development for like 30 minutes. You have no idea where it's going to go. Then there's an explosion, and then the the plot actually kicks in. Like yeah. and that's I, it. Well, uh, like freaking himself, like attempted to make this movie without relying on dialogue and made this uh, tell the story through imagery instead. So, um, you know, at, at that point when you get there, I mean, like this is why we were talking earlier about this movie would have worked so much better if we saw us in the theaters mm-hmm. because you know, seeing it on my TV, my TV is good, but my TV can't fucking uh, and capture me that much <laughs> into a movie that's like mostly visually based. So, like most of the time, I was just like. Wait, what's going on? What's going on? Literally, like midway through the movie, I was like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on in this movie, to be honest. I just need to get a home theater so I can watch these movies yeah, the way that seriously. they were meant to be made. Um, and it was very fitting. Like the last scene of the movie, Scheider asks, like, one of the two female actresses in this movie, there there are no, there's literally like no women in this movie. Yeah, none. <laughs> so it's a real dude's rock, uh, rocks kind of event asked the Mexican barmaid to, to dance. And then one of the men from New York pulls up in a cab and you just hear a gunshot. And I was like, that is the most 1970s way to end this movie. Like, yeah. it's perfect. And like at the time, like it doesn't really bother me. It just felt like very cliche 1970s, but not not necessarily in a bad way, but just in like a, I've seen enough like 1970s, like movies, you know, that, yeah. bad, you know, bad men or mixed character men movies and like that that death at the end like we're, of, we're, of course. we're gonna cover this movie that's on my wall here nashville at at some point in time hmm. it, it, it it's something that like it's a trend in a lot of these bigger dramas from from this time period yeah, of, of just like killing off the character right there. I mean I'm glad we did get a Roy Schneider because apparently um when freaking hated the fact that he did that in retrospect he was like he wanted to see mcqueen at first that didn't, that didn't work out then he wanted clint eastwood or jack nicholson neither one to travel clint, at the time clint would have been great clint, yeah clint would have worked but i don't think he... i don't think jack would have worked he's like a little too his face bounces too much if that makes sense like it's just too expressive where you just too... needed a lot cold you needed colder uh, cool, colder and cooler and like you know there's some things where he tried to approach even robert mitchum um for the lead role Robert Mitchum like loved the role. And he, uh, he loved the script or anything. And he said he was like, "Why do I want to go to Ecuador for two or three months to fall out of a truck? I can do that outside my house." And he was like, "I'm too old for this shit. I'm not doing your fucking movie." So I mean, he settled on Roy Schneider, which I think did work in the movie's favor, but he thinks it did terrible for the movie's box office. Which uh, not, I, I think I could wrong. I could see that. I uh, you know I love Roy Schneider, but I don't think of him essentially as like a leading man like even in the movie that he's like the title even of char- character in like he's it's like it's like that's a three lead movie you know like it, we get the story through Scheider, but quint and hopper are just as crucial to that story 
exactly like freaking uh himself said um you know he thought that uh, schneider did a great job and he's a good actor but he's only interesting in a film as a second or third banana he's not a star um which i think for most of his career you could probably say that you know yeah i feel like that that epitomizes him kind of but like always a guy that if you get to see him you're gonna be thrilled to see him i mean i think this is a good time to maybe do this i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star tommy who is the star of sorcerer i'm assuming you're leaning my way in terms of the actor we've just been discussing (laughs) the only actor i could name on top of my head um but yeah brush schneider i mean like you know, him in um, the earlier scene with, um, you know, the church and the accident and stuff like that of him just reacting to all that was just probably the second most captivating thing in this movie for me. His reactions and his just like response to it and like, getting out of yeah. the car was pretty like intense. <laughs> right there. And I would say Bruno Kremer um, also <laughs> did an excellent job in this. If I had to pick another option, it would be him. I felt like the rest of them just didn't get enough screen time. And especially for a movie that's just so visual. They fade um, into the background almost. <laughs> they they, fade, they can fade into the background, which I think was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love after the explosion when they bring the charred bodies back to the, the camp. And basically like the revolution, we just get the men sitting in there, like kind of just responding to what's going on down there. And talk about a very powerful sequence uh, in the film itself. But yeah. I feel like, especially as Americans, we're just going to relate to Roy Scheider more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely felt that. But but I would say Bruno Kramer, you know, also carried his weight there. Um, but, you know, to, to Friedkin's point, like, yeah, if you had like a Robert Redford, Paul New, you had like one of the big title marquees, this movie probably does a lot better. And it's probably like remembered better where like Roy Scheider is almost a little forgettable but i i still love the guy yeah i, I mean also release their movie just after star wars is kind of like release their movie just after barbie and oppenheimer of the day <laughs> yeah oh, yeah yeah or the week before yeah mr mission impossible sorry tom cruise ah are you ready comedy partner waka waka tommy let's just th- throw this out here because would Sorcerer work as a Muppet adaptation? The, that is a resounding, absolutely not. Like, n- not even a prayer. But but if we pitch it, and this is what we do, we got to pitch it right here. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm not pitching. I'm not pitching this. I'm pitching a different <laughs> idea. I'm just okay. pitching a William Friedkin Muppet movie. Like, that. that's it. Like, I, it doesn't even matter what it is. I think just pitching William Friedkin and the Muppets is an insanity that I don't know if the world could possibly handle. <laughs> it's too zany for even the Muppets. <laughs> I don't even know if it's too zany. It's just like... I, pressure, we, talk about a pressure cooker. <laughs> talk about a pressure cooker on a, you know, like a slapstick puppet show. Yeah. But I it, I do feel like if, if you somehow inspired Friedkin to do it, he would come up with the most bananas muppet movie you've ever seen in your life like nothing will (laughs) crack that absurdity uh it's a shame that we'll never be able to get that experience not that we ever were going to get that experience but i just want you to i just want you to envision like like kermit and fozzy like as like 
truck drivers and getting robbed by Gonzo and having to like drive through like urban Pittsburgh or something like that. And then like Miss Piggy is like the seductress, like, like I'm just picturing it, especially in that like <laughs> documentary style, like that he has. And I'm just like, this, this would be literally, it would be literally insane with like, you just like trying to, to film the Muppets as a real being or a real entity. And personally, I'd want the actor to be William Friedkin. Like I'd want to just watch this eclectic man interact interact. with the Muppets. Like it would actually be funny. Ego going off control. (laughs) It would be funny if the movie was about William Friedkin having to direct a Muppet movie. (laughs) And we just act as if the Muppets are real. Like think a little bit of um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's just like in that real world, like putting Friedkin there. Like, I feel like that'd be perfect. I definitely see it. <laughs> I would. Oh, I'd hundred percent watch it. Um, all right, Tommy, review time, sorcerer. Give me your score out of five. Yeah, I think that this movie had two things going against it for my first watch. One was that I didn't see this in theaters. It's a very visual movie. I mean, granted, I don't think that you know the Alamo's doing any screens of sorcerer anytime soon. Maybe they might. But, uh, they might, they might, but that and I was not in the best of mood when I saw this movie. But um, this movie, for the most part, just didn't captivate me. I wasn't really engaged. Um, I tried to be engaged. You know, I was not a phone face um, or anything like that. Um, but so overall, yeah. So I say, you know, who knows? But um, you know, overall, it was just like with a movie that's very dialogueless and very visual based. It just I wasn't able to follow the plot and most scenes were like eh, i don't know so i'm gonna go like two out of five i'll see two out of five damn yeah you fucking I just, hated this i was not really that much of a fan i don't know i just was like you was, was, i was i was like oh, when's this gonna be over this you were like batman v superman same level as sorcerer got it um yeah yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I This feels like one of those movies that would probably be like a 4.5, maybe even a 5 if you saw it in theaters. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a really well-made movie. Um, I d- always do enjoy those slower paced, like methodical, just kind of like, just kind of chilling, seeing what's going on here. Uh, style of movies. Um, definitely a movie, though, that I feel like needs to be seen on a big screen to like fully grasp and appreciate yeah um i did not hate this as much as you um if (laughs) you've sat through this review and you've been like i want to watch dudes on a truck cross a bridge like watch this movie if you sat there and were like i don't want to watch that don't watch this movie that'd be my recommendation to people (laughs) yeah yeah, Unless I, you can see it in a theater, then I'd recommend going to see it there. I, I think that this movie would definitely go up at least a star if I saw some theaters. So I uh, imagine maybe stars. I'd imagine maybe yeah, two, maybe even three stars for you. Who knows? I feel like you just I feel you you mentioned to me what was going on, you know, little work difficulties. Like yeah, Tommy Tommy was down a little bit. Um and that's okay. That's okay. I hope I hope talking to me helped cheer you up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about a movie that I wasn't the biggest fan of. <laughs> Still fun. <laughs> yeah, when when you texted me that, I was like, "Oh, you're about to be in for like a real pressure cooker." That's <laughs> not. That's you're not going in in the greatest mindset, but that's okay. 
Nothing. I mean, you, you you say that, but I watch horror movies, like intense horror movies, after stressful days of work too. So that's not much of a yeah. But that's like your dopamine hit. That's like yeah. That that's like your how you like unwind and relax. This is like present. <laughs> like we watched grown men like crossing a bridge with a truck that was about to snap, and it was yeah. as realistic as you could possibly envision it. And uh, that is that is stressful and not always the most endearing thing to watch after a hard day's work um tommy any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode um well thank you guys so much for listening you can follow us on social media um that's at pod uh twitter instagram and uh tiktok and occasionally threads um but occasionally time was the last time you posted on threads about like a week ago (laughs) i think so i think we can let the threads die let, let the threads die so um but yeah, um, you know, leave us a five-star review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast really helps out the show. And, you know, we're gearing up for September and we'll have to schedule out soon for you guys. We still got to figure out what we're doing the last week of August. It's a dog days of summer. We, uh, we didn't, uh, get everything a hundred percent planned and that's okay, but we're yeah. going to do, we'll do something fun next week. Probably we'll probably, we'll try to avoid something as depressing as, uh, this movie. Um, <laughs> But thank you all so much for listening to us today. We'll see you next time.